You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be uh, talking with Edward Bailey. He's the founder and CEO of Farron Recovery. Edward, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, can, we're excited to have you. Can uh, Can you tell us a little bit about um, Farron Recovery and, and Farron Leaders and all the stuff that you're doing there? Yeah, for sure. It is um and something that we're doing now really with my family is the main thing. I tell you, we can talk a little bit about the past coming up, but I've got, you know, I spent 17 years, which is my whole adult life from age 24 to 41 at an organization called No Longer Bound, which was an incredible place that saved my life. And so as a servant leader, I always knew the best thing I was going to be able to do one day was to get out of the way so that the organization could grow past me. And so that day came earlier this year as we were sitting in strategic planning for the next three to five years. I was sitting around some really, really smart executives with the organization and knew in my heart that they needed a different leader to be able to execute on these plans. And so, you know, just to, had built a life of service, love helping families in crisis, love people that are trying to struggle uh, through addiction and that are trying to find freedom really in any walk of life, especially in addiction recovery. And so after finishing No Longer Bound earlier this year in 2021, you know, just kind of with my wife and praying and saying, what do we want to do next? And so we had a couple things that we were wanting to do. We were wanting to be with our family full time. And so I have a wife, Jennifer, of Oh, coming up on 14 years, and then two beautiful little girls, Fallon and Farah, which is where the name Farin comes from. Just mm. mash those two together. There you go. Um, and they're seven and four. And so, man, I wanted to be with them as much as possible during these really cool years of their life and didn't want to go find myself so busy that I wasn't available to them. And so, you know, just said, how do we travel a lot, which we want to do? How do we show them the country full time, which we want to do? And how do we still help people? And so, we sold everything, sold our house earlier this year, put every put a couple things in storage and got rid of everything else and moved our family into an RV full time. And so for the last three months and for the foreseeable future, we traveled the country full time. And so we started that track leaving from Atlanta, which is where we're from and where we're based. And now home is where we park it. And so today at the recording of this podcast, I'm in, let's see, I'm in Palm Beach, California. So I'm all the way on the other side of the coast and we just hop around the country and man, stay mobile to be able to serve people. So Farron was born from that. You know, Farron Leaders is kind of one side of what we do. And it's how do we take the very best things that we learned about personal development and addiction recovery and share it with leaders and emerging leaders? Because you shouldn't have to go through an addiction and hit bottom to find some of the really best life transforming things that someone that's in crisis has to put their life on hold and learn about themselves. And so often some people in leadership and living a quote unquote regular life and trying to keep up, they have you know, a really hard time stopping and creating that space and margin to work on themselves. And so Fair and Leaders was born out of that. And Fair and Recovery was I've been in this industry for 17 years and just 
am in love with serving people and intersecting them at a time of brokenness and hurt in their life. And so how do I serve families in crisis and be on the other side of that phone call when they don't know what to do, but they just know they need help. And so um, I went and got certified as an interventionist. And so a lot of times families will call and say, if he or she doesn't stop, their life's going to be over, but they're not quite ready for help. And so often the addiction treatment centers, we have to wait until they're ready for help. But an intervention actually creates an opportunity to help move that person out of that crisis and into treatment and serve that family while doing that. And so being mobile and living in an RV and always near an airport, you know, we're just able to serve the whole country now. And so really have created a company that is there to serve those people and those families in crisis. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask you, how does that work traveling the world with what you're doing with Fair and Recovery? So it's not like you guys are going church to church and doing like recovery ministries within a church context or something else. You're you're just open and available because you're able to be mobile and, and travel anywhere. Yeah, that's it. An intervention really looks like you're going to work with the family virtually for a couple of weeks anyway. And so you're going to help kind of get everybody together as a team, get them on the same page, get ready to help their family member or their loved one or their coworker that's in crisis and prepare them for an intervention, which is really the primary goal is to get them into treatment. And so then you're going to go and do that intervention in person more often than not. And so then it's, you know, you're on an airplane, you're there, your boots on the ground with them and helping them get their family member or their loved one, their person in crisis into treatment. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's a resource to the church and it operates with the heart of the ministry, but it's really, you know, it's more in that mental health space and being able to help save someone's life and move them towards healing. Mm. That's really cool. That's a unique model. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. Is that, is this pretty common or is you guys kind of innovating? Well, no, addiction interventions are definitely common. You know, there's probably, they've been made most common um, on a TV show called Intervention that was on A&E and probably still is. It's been running for a bunch of years. And so there was a group of interventionists that created that TV show. And so it, the uh, the concept of an intervention for someone in substance use and addiction is, uh, you know, it's been, you know, made kind of household name or mm-hmm. so we say with that show. But no, intervention is basically, it's a... It's an attempt to help someone get ready to treatment. More often than not, you're the idea and the belief. And really the reality is, is that somebody's got to want to get help. And so you're waiting until that person admits that they need help. And then you provide them, you know, a referral to get to a treatment center. But right. these days it's not, we don't have that luxury as much anymore of waiting until the person gets ready because the, the landscape of addiction has really changed and the landscape of, um, the drugs that are being used has really changed. And so as to where used to, you could give a little bit more room for someone to make mistakes and admit they were ready. It's just not the case anymore. Drugs are much, much more deadly now. Heroin is deadlier than ever. And there's dangerous drugs that are being mixed in the heroin called fentanyl and carfentanil. They kill people the very first use. And so you don't, mm. you don't get second chances and you don't, you know, you don't, you can't give someone as much rope to learn and get ready theirself. And so an intervention is much, uh, is a much better tool to help save that life and help them get ready instead of wait for them to become ready for help. Hmm. Well, to give our audience a little context for today's conversation, can you share your story and past experience and, and how did out of that, do you end up running and being a part of, no longer bound and now eventually into this. 
Yeah. So I was that person that needed that help, man. At um, 24 years old, I had just graduated college and I say graduated, you know, not like it was an achievement because it was really not. It was just, I was deep into drugs, deep into my addiction and finished school. And so uh, I got home and was supposed to be prepared for the world and was to say I was ill-prepared is an understatement. I was dying. I was a mess and it was just going to end up, I was going to, my family was going to be another tragedy and another statistic. And so, um, 24 years old, I get home, which is home was Gainesville, Georgia at the time. And, you know, my parents were, we didn't know what an intervention was, but they were trying to intervene in my life and say, you know, trying to tell me about addiction that was in our family and you, you know, just reaching out to me saying how much trouble I was in and they just knew it. And, you know, they're, they're about to lose their son. And, at that time, they were pulling me out of what you'd call a trap house or a dope house. And so plywood floors, people getting high everywhere, laid all over the house. Nasty stuff that you only want to see on a movie. and You don't even want to watch that movie because it's depressing. But just really, really dark places that never thought I'd find myself in my life, especially with the background or the um, kind of growing up that I had. But mm-hmm. that was where I found myself, like it or not. And it was not good. And uh, so I woke up one day and, and throughout high school and college had been able to quit using drugs and alcohol on my own when things would get out of control and they would get out of control pretty often. Um, but I woke up one day and said, you know, I really want my relationship with God back. I want to stop getting high. I want to stop using meth, which is what I was using at the time. And I really wanted to make a change and I want to be free. And I remember on that day not being able to change. And that was probably one of the most terrifying days of my life to this, to, you know, through this day, it's just a terrifying moment to wake up and realize that you were physically dependent, mentally dependent and couldn't do without it. And so I knew I had gone too far at that point. And it was really the first time that I knew that I was an addict. And that was a scary thought that I, it wasn't about me letting go of something. It was about it letting go of me that I wasn't in control anymore. And that was a terrifying thought. And so once I had that re- revelation, I remember sitting in an apartment in Gainesville, I hadn't slept in days and sitting there and realizing oh, I'm going to be dead or in prison within a year. And so I decided at that point to, man, I'm going to, I don't want to die. You know, I still had a little bit of hope left and I didn't want to die. And I reached out to my family and said, you're right. I'm going to die. It's not good. And so um, we started looking for places to find help. And we found this place called No Longer Bound. And so I called the last guy that I got high with. Good, awesome guy, buddy of mine from elementary school. But we ended up being what you call using buddies. So we were getting high together. And so I called Travis the day before I went to No Longer Bound and said, I'm going to go get help like we've talked about. You should do it too. And he's like, all right, man. And, uh, man, I got to see Travis a year later, but it was standing over his casket and he died of a drug overdose. And so mm. that was the reality that I knew I was facing and, and, um, tried to give him a warning too. And he wasn't, he wasn't ready to listen, but so yeah, standing over his casket, I remember thinking, I'm not going to let this go to waste. You know I mean? This, this kid's never going to get to see his thirties, never going to hear a kid call him dad, which is the coolest thing in the world. And never going to get to see a bride walk down the aisle towards him, which is just a gift. And so I said, I want to, I want to chase a dream. And so the dream was that I want to be trusted. I want to be a husband and I want to be a dad. And those things were so far away from what I was living, but no longer bound ended up being the place that did that for me, man. It just changed everything. They provided me an opportunity to 
heal from hurt and to pursue my doubts and to understand what was driving the, the, the traumas that were driving my life and understand the false beliefs that were driving my behaviors. And they gave me time. It was a long-term residential program that gave me time um, to really uncover some of that stuff and unearth what was driving all of that mess that was killing me. And so by the end of it, you know, a year or so later, it had just changed my life from the inside out. And one of the biggest things, the transformative parts of my life beyond just getting sober was I had met a God of grace. I had, I was driven by a concept of God that was about performance and law. And that was killing me and my, my I was rebelling against that. And really, it felt like God was uh, really difficult really impossible to please and really willing to leave. And so that was somebody to end up hating and resenting. And so over time, there was a tearing down of that concept and a beautiful group of people that allowed me to be a mess with that and didn't tell me what I should believe, but helped foster an environment for doubt to take place so I could throw all of my negative beliefs, you know, on the table and be willing to learn something new. And Mm-hmm. And through that met a God of grace that was never going to leave me, never going to forsake me and always going to leave the 99 to come find me. And that was just not the guy that I grew up with. And that had changed everything. So I finished this program about a year later and I just wanted to know what he wanted me to do at that point, because at this point I'd really fallen in love with him. And he told me to stay at this place called no longer bound. And at that time that made no sense, but gosh, a bunch of years <laughs> later when I ended up being the CEO of it, um, it made a whole lot of sense because it gave me the opportunity to not just give back, but to create uh, with a team of really talented people, but to create something that was going to create gen- generational impact for families for years to come. And so that has been doing that. And we end up, um, end up making no longer about a really, really cool, thing it was uh and it is today a really amazing place in that it's a still a really long term like really long term it's a year long and it's still that heart of a ministry but it's also a state licensed clinical treatment center now and so there's mm-hmm. amazing staff like phd clinical directors and licensed therapists and nursing staff and um, counselors and graduates working there and it's um in for those that don't know much about the addiction treatment world, residential treatment typically happens in between 14 and 21 days now. And so you're really trying to, you've got an industry that's trying to treat cancer with Neosporin. And so No Longer Bound is um, a very unique model that it's providing not only the heart of a ministry and that good spiritual transformation process that it always has, but then also now really good high level clinical and medical care. And so um, ends up being a really special place that that I got to pass on to the next generation of leadership, and and that's kind of led to, like I mentioned, like what I'm doing now. That's really cool. That's an amazing story of of redemption and rescue out of that, and and a new understanding around a a God of grace over a God of rules and regulations and. And so how important is that story, your story in the development and growth of all the ministries that you've been a part of? I mean, it's, it's the reason there's a, um, there's an author named Simon Sinek that wrote a book called start with why. And the idea of the book is that you start everything, not with the, how you do or the, what that you do, but why you do it. And so it just ends up saying that a purpose, a person that is purpose driven is going to have a lot more impact in life. And so my pain turned to purpose. And so everything that I've done since then has been out of that purpose. And so 
I've never approached something, uh, the what I do, like what a career move was going to be, or even the how I do it, which would be, you know, kind of what my strengths are, what my skill sets are, anything like that. But it was always, it's always been like, I've got a short time of on this earth. Like it's really, really short. And so Mm. I want it to be for the right purpose and the right why. And so, um, man, that, that pain that I went through and when you've been a prisoner and then you've been a free person, it ends up creating a drive a lot of times to see, to see no other person enslaved. You just, you understand both sides of that coin, what it's like to be a, a slave or a prisoner and then what it's like to be free. And for me, it just really ignited a passion to set other people free. And so I know I'm operating in my purpose when I'm providing an opportunity for people to do that, when I'm operating my purpose, it's just so fulfilling anyway. And so not, you know, selfishly, I'm loving every single day when I'm living and operating in my purpose, like at the intersection of calling and career. And then for other people, it ends up impacting them, them too. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been to say it's been critical is, you know, is very true. Did you guys do, did you guys do a good job of communicating story with not only your, your story and probably the, the development of donors and, and I don't know, maybe your marketing stuff, but how important is storytelling and the story of the men and women that you guys serve? Like, where does that come into play with all of this? Yeah. So storytelling's critical for the people that you're serving. It's everything because you want to tell stories that inspire them and let them no, for someone that's in addiction and is like early in recovery, you're wanting to let them know that there is another way. And so a story ends up providing that example or precedence that, look, I've been there, I've done it, I've slept in the same bed, I've walked in the same shoes, and if I can do it, I'm nothing special, you can do it too. And so story ends up giving them um, a reason to fight for, like a hope to fight for. And then storytelling for donors is just critical period. I mean, communication, I think one of the differences between the the organizations that, you know, are just trying to survive and the ones that are thriving is that ability to storytell is is critical. Um, one of my favorite mentors and friends is a guy named Bruce Dill that runs an organization called City of Refuge in Atlanta. Um, it's just been an incredible nonprofit, just incredible story and trajectory of growth. And I remember, always remember home one of his famous lines, which was, you got to always have yesterday's story in your back pocket. Always got to have yesterday's story ready to go because, you know, he's going to be taking a tour with Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, or this, and Dan Cathy's going to bring the CEO of Coca-Cola out on this campus. And if you understand how these people, what they're looking for, number one, they're looking for an organization that's investable. And so you need a good plan. You need a good strategy. But man, motivation, inspiration, and vision eat strategy for lunch. And so you've got to connect with their heart first, and then their wallet and their decision making is going to come after that. And so mm-hmm. Andy Stanley says it well, too. Like you're looking for something that breaks your heart. And so that storytelling ends up compelling them and finding, is this my right person? It ends up being a way to connect with who your donor is or who your supporter is or, you know, and so if it, if you're telling a story and it breaks their heart then you know, you've got the right person on the line and this is something that they're looking for too. They're looking for something to invest their life and their time, talent and resources into. And so then behind that, of course, the importance is the plan, the strategy, the team and everything else, because story is never going to do it by itself. But story is that first hook. It is that way to connect and to find out, um, to, 
to find out, is this something, is your mission something that breaks their heart as well? Mm. Yeah. It's the thing that engages, inspires first. And when we're, we're emotionally engaged at that level, then the hows and the what's like Simon Sinek talks about, those things can come into play when I've communicated some of these high level inspirational, why purpose type communicating at that level. I think yep, he has a, sure. Simon Sinek has a quote, um, something to the effect of um, like the, the way that engaged people is not manipulation, but inspiration. Right. So it's so important. And the ministries that we've seen success, we've seen have success, have that understanding and they, and they take what God is doing through the organization, through their ministry and communicate that and testify of that first and foremost, obviously the strategies are in place. Um, the teams and the people are in place. There's clear communication, but first and foremost, Hey, we're going to testify and share the stories of what God's doing. And, and that's going to be the thing that inspires and engages. And then we can follow it up with some of these other pieces that have to absolutely be in place. Yep. For sure. Talk to us about the the growth you've seen in the ministry. Where was the organization before you started and, and where is it now? Yeah, it was probably when I first started working there, I'm going to say it was somewhere around six staff members and about a million dollars of gross revenue in the budget. And I think when I left, we were around a hundred employees and kind of five to $6 million as a budget um, heading into this next year. And so it was incredible growth. I mean, it was amazing wow. See, during those early days when it was a small ministry when people lived on the campus of the treatment center because no one could afford a home to live off of it. And so we ate do- donated food and we drove donated cars. And, you know, we, um, my first many years, we were getting paid $12,000 gross a year pre-tax. <laughs> wow. Oh, those are, those are the days, man. Everybody's got those days when they were just dead broke and counting <laughs> up change to get an ice cream cone. And man, we lived those days for years. And, uh, but man, we just believed in what we were doing and it was transforming lives. And, and gosh, I wouldn't, I, we didn't care that we were broke back then and just loved it. And so, but the thing was, you know, that we came to realize over the years, we, we, uh, when I started to take over, um, after our founder, who's an amazing man, his name is Mike Harden, I took over the role to be our second generation of leadership in 2014. And we wrote a really, really big vision. I mean, a big vision for what No Longer Bound is today and what it's continuing to move towards accomplishing. Um, and when you start to write a vision like that, you realize the only way we're going to accomplish this is with really talented people. And we're not going to go, we're not going to be able to get as far as we want to get with people that were graduates of the place and, you know, just had great hearts. You know, we needed to be able to attract and retain really high level talent. And so to be mm. able to do that and to actually move the needle of a vision and of a mission of an organization, you know, you've got to not expect that people are going to work with a um, with a poverty mindset, honestly, you know, I want to bring people in that are just the sharpest people in the world. And I don't want to get them, you know, the for profit or just the marketplace is typically going to be more attractive to a lot of these people. They might have great hearts, but they've also got families and they've got careers. And so, you know, I want to go out and be able to 
um, afford to pay them the kind of wage that, you know, they can do what they love to do working at that intersection of a calling and a career and not have to make a sacrifice with benefits and pay and, you know, culture of the organization, health of the organization, built out infrastructure of the organization and um, all those great things. And so, you know, that was what we also set out to do was let's find out how we can, how we can really have the kind of people here that are going to be able to make this vision possible. And so mm. man, we, when I left earlier this year and what they're continuing to build there is, um, is a place that thinks like a business, but has the heart of a ministry. And so that was the mantra that we worked on was heart of a ministry, brain of a business. And, you know, in our, in, in my experience, you know, I'd see too often, uh, ministries that had that heart of a ministry and the brain of a ministry. And they would, you know, they would think like a ministry. And so what they ends up meaning is a lot of people that really love God and incredible, incredible intentions for the people that they're serving. Um, but they think um, with what I would just probably call a poverty mindset, but just they think how to get things done for the, le- the least amount of money as possible. And that everyone should think like a, like they do, like a missionary or, you know, just think that everyone should be as passionate as they are. It ends up creating incredible burnout and you end up with that ministry mindset as well. You end up with pretty poor execution, which is not good for your culture and for your team building. And it's definitely not good for actually executing on what you're setting out to do with your mission. Um, and so, yeah, high level execution, attracting, entertaining the highest talent you can get your hands on, um, and really pitching that vision to the people that are supporting the ministry so that you can in turn fund that. And that comes exactly back to what you're talking about, inspiring people with storytelling, inspiring people with, with painting a clear vision and letting them know that this is something that is investable to them as um, investors, because that's what what donors are thinking i mean they are thinking they're they're giving out of two different pockets because they have philanthropic money that they give away and they have investment money that they invest but it's the same person making both of those decisions and so they're looking at the nonprofit or the ministry with the same brain that helped them earn enough money to give away the same brain that understands how to make investment and how to look at if an organization is investable for that investment and so although you've moved their heart and you've used your story to tell and you've inspired them and engaged them, they're also looking at is they're going to be an actual good return on this investment because they're not just giving that money away to give it away. They want to see that it can make impact and they work mm. hard for that money. And so um, that's where that brain of the business that we like to call it ends up coming into that's really helpful for that. Yeah. How has the transition been from a relatively large high budget organization with a hundred employees to what you're doing now. Has, has that been difficult or are there been challenges that have come with that or has it been pretty smooth? I don't know. Not smooth. Smooth. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. I mean, I tried my hardest to be as prepared emotionally as I could to make a transition of something for 17 years. I mean, you're talking, went there when I was 24 and never had a real job and gave everything I had for 17 years until the day I left. And so no one knew me that didn't know me as Edward from no longer bound. And so to say that, you know, my identity was extremely intertwined with that place. And, and as a servant leader, I tried to always remember that I was going to leave it and I wasn't going to own it. And there was no shares that you cash in and there's no anything that's going to make the transition a little bit easier and try to remember that this is that we were building a foundation that other people were going to build on. You're going to walk away with just knowing what you were doing in the first place and what, why it mattered that you were doing work that mattered for people who mattered. 
So try to prepare as hard as I could, but there's still no way to prepare for it, man. You just, um, it was super tough and I knew it was the best thing for my family. I knew that was the best thing for the organization, but that doesn't make it any easier. And so like all transitions, it's just like any other process of like a process of grieving. You know, there's maybe some steps to it, but they're not that clean. They're not that organized. And so if you caught me at certain times during the first 60 days of leaving, I just was flat on my face, hitting bottom, just a hot mess. And so I just had to remember what we were doing it for. And um, just, I mean, just in, it's only been three months. And so just in the last month, you know, is the reason, you know, we're now kind of feeling the benefits of what we were making that transition for. And so when you're leading and grinding at that hard of a level, you, you're, you're putting it all and leaving it all on the field. And so there's not a lot left for other things. And so, man, we really didn't want to miss these early years with our daughters. And so um, the payoff is starting to hit for sure with just spending every single day with them. Um, and then also the payoff is uh, the excitement of being an entrepreneur and starting businesses, you know, kind of social enterprise businesses that still impact people for good, but that our businesses is uh, something that we were doing at No Longer Bound. So we started social enterprise businesses like thrift stores and car donation programs that they have. And mm-hmm. we worked really hard on those. And so, but all of that effort was going into the ministry. And so it's pretty fun now to you know, to be taking a second round at a career at 41 years old and putting that grind back into starting these things from scratch. And so every day is, you know, you're scraping and clawing and grinding and, and that's pretty exciting and pretty fun. And to be able to do that alongside my wife is also really fun. And, um, and then be able to do it for people, you know, that, that need it and create something that doesn't just make money, but that, you know, serves people is, is pretty fun, but no, it wasn't smooth. Anybody that says that kind of transition smooth is just full of, crap (laughs) super tough yeah i can imagine now do you have hopes and vision for fair and recovery to to be what no longer bound ended up being or do you want to keep it small and just your family um, so no longer bounds a, a treatment center with an address fair and recovery is, you know, a service that helps people that are needing treatment, you know, so between just working on a, a few different things that kind of intertwine. So working on fair and recovery, and then we just started a nonprofit called the network of effective treatment or the net. So the website is the net recovery.com. And then of course, fair and recovery is uh fair and recovery.com. But um, the net, the network is like taking places like no longer bound, finding them across the country and then connecting them. And so again, no physical location, but, but helping organizations like the Isaiah house in Kentucky and, you know, Whitehorse um, addiction treatment that's up in New Hampshire and starting to pull together places like that across the country so that they can know who each other are partner network and really go further, faster helps the person in crisis to find effective places that care about people over profit, like the place I was leading. Um, but then also help those organizations to get better, you know, mm-hmm. by partnering and connecting. And so, um, man, I, I feel like, to be honest, I feel like an active spectator in my life. And so to say, I know exactly what any of it's going to turn to, I have no idea. You know, I learned when I was 24 <laughs> years old, just to ask God what he wants to do, get a vision for your life and then be, be willing to work, be the hardest worker in the room to make it happen and then just watch what he does with that. And so I feel like I get to be very active in my, in my life, but also that I get to spectate to a degree just, you know, so to be able to be an active spectator and watch what he's doing while willing to work really hard for it. And then it just, it ends up getting to be fun. So you get to feel like you're kind of on the sidelines in your own life. And so short answer, 
to your question, I have no idea what it'll become, but it's going to be fun to see. That's really cool. That's a fun mindset to just be able to put all, put it all on his, his plate and, and to completely trust. Now, obviously the completely trust part is I'm assuming a struggle. At least for me, it is like, I can say that, but then when it comes down to actually trusting and, 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 you know, being open to what the direction he wants to go, like that, that is a struggle in and of itself, I'm assuming. Yeah. When it's, um, you know, my, my struggles with, yeah, trust on that is typically when it's going to be attached to money. I, I think I struggle to trust the most when, mm. when it's attached to income, you know, I can, I can trust that I hear him pretty well. I can trust pretty clearly that he's going to be into that. They were on, they were aligned, so to say, like, cause I just feel like I don't need it to be a, a, about me. Um, but when, you know, it's always a balance because when, when income and money are clicking and doing well, it's easier for ego to take over. So it's a nice, humble place to be in when it's not. Um, but that, I think that's finances, money, income. Those are the hardest ones where I will struggle with trusting mm-hmm. his direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're called to be providers for our families, but also, you know, <laughs> That's just a hard, it's, it's hard for everyone. I think everybody, every ministry leader probably struggles with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, looking back, if, well, I have another question I want to move on to. How do you, how do you guys, or how do you balance, you talked about re, re, um, balancing the, the heart of ministry while growing a successful business. How, what does that look like? So I think for us, it ended up really just being core values. Like you've got to find a couple things that are your non-negotiables and then be willing to flex with all of the rest. And so thinking kind of back to that Simon Sinek Sinek book of, um, he's just something called the golden circle. So he's got why on the center, which is your purpose. Mm -hmm. And then he's got, it kind of goes out to what you do and then how you do it in these circles that go out. And so even what you do can be up, you know, open to change how you do it should, you should change that all of the time. If you don't stay flexible and you don't change with time, you're going to get left behind as a ministry. And so I think that's one thing the church is really uh, in danger of right now is the world Mm -hmm. is changing. And if we don't think that we need to change, I think we can, we can miss it and we miss our opportunity to impact people, which is the point in the first place. And so you know, you've got to be really open and not hold to with a too tight of a fist how you do things or even what you do. Uh, but the reason that you do it, the intent and the purpose, I think, are the things that you always make sure that you bring back to the forefront. And so, uh, again, another good Andy Stanley quote, he says that vision leaks. And so I think you can also have mission creep. And so you you the, the idea behind vision leaks is you people forget it. You have to keep saying it over and over and over. And I think you can do that same thing with your purpose and your core values, like our purpose, meaning why are we here? What do we exist for? You know, all, all right. So we exist to intersect hurting and broken people and lead them into a relationship or growing relationship with Christ. Like that's what we're here for. How we do that. We can change that a million times. Our strategies for how we do that. Businesses often, often are changing how they reach their customer, how they serve their customer. They'll change their products. They'll change their branding, you know? And so you're, you have to think like that. You have to be willing to change everything always, except for 
what your purpose is, what your intent is, that why for the organization. And then you can also use those core values to help remind you what those things are. And so, mm. you know, have yourself a good, you know, three to five core values that are actually part of your conversation, actually part of your hiring strategy, actually part of, you know, what, what, um, kind of supports the how and the what that you do, the strategy of what you do. But, you know, you're thinking about those couple of things. Why are we here? What do we exist for? What are our values? And so let those things be your true North and be willing to change everything else. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what we see a lot with ministries is that their vision or their purpose or whatever you want to call it, their beliefs are wrapped up in how or are communicated or are wrapped up in how they do what they do or what they do. And, and so as those things are required to change, because they're going to always be re- required to change if your ministry is going to be successful long-term or be around long-term. Like if that purpose is not big enough and, and high enough and, and doesn't go beyond your strategies or your, your, how you would do what you do or what you do, then like everything about the organization is changing every single time the strategy needs to change. Yep. For sure. What are you most excited about with, with what you're doing now at Farron recovery and Farron leaders and, what are you most excited about with regards to the direction the Lord is taking you? I mean, you've been three months into this. What What's exciting you about this new new step? Yeah, vision has always excited me. So we wrote a beautiful vision in 2014 when I took over as executive director at No Longer Bound. And one of the big components of that vision was, you know, we felt compelled by God that that what we were doing was too big for that 20 acre campus. And so the big question to him was, how do you want to export this outside of Metro Atlanta? Do you want us to start a bunch of other no longer bounds? And how do we take this message? It feels like it's too big, even for addiction recovery. You know, it feels like understanding what your core beliefs are, that your beliefs drive your behaviors is something that everyone should experience, not just in addiction. So it feels bigger than addiction. And in the addiction world, it feels bigger than Metro Atlanta. And so what do you want to do with that? And really felt at that time that we were supposed to focus on the campus and the organization that we were building, which is what that place is doing now. Um, and then what I didn't realize at that time that it was going to require me to leave to end up answering and facilitating and fulfilling that vision that God gave us, because the answer was you're going to partner instead of pioneer. You know, you, you are going to take this message of recovery and the life transformation outside of the addiction world as well. And so that, that vision lived in me ever since 2014. And I I don't think I realized that it was going to require me to leave for that piece to happen. And so no longer bound is, um, is today doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is just, man, working on becoming a better organization for the people that they serve. And the two things that I'm getting to do is, you know, between fair and leaders, that's taking the things that we learned that was transforming lives of people in recovery and sharing it with leaders. I'll be on a, I'll be on a call later this month with a group of state farm, uh, with a group of state farm employees, incredible leaders that are wanting to be the best leaders they can for the organization that they lead. And I'll be sharing with them about core beliefs. This is something that I learned at no longer bound and that you shouldn't have to go through recovery to have. And then with fair and recovery, it's again, now saying, let's do the same thing we were doing at no longer bound. Let's serve people in crisis, but let's move them to other, to, uh, to treatment centers across the country that are really effective. And then that nonprofit, the network of effective treatment. 
is really exciting for sure, because it is what I feel like God gave us a vision to do, which was to find other places like No Longer Bound, connect them and pull together an association of places like it so that you can operate like one large, effective treatment center, if you will, that's mm-hmm. across the country. And so really just putting the pieces together of what we feel like the, or what I feel like God gave me in 2014 and being able to serve people and do it from the road while spending all day with my little girls, and my wife. And so it's pretty easy to find what's exciting now when you look out the window and you're sitting in front of, you know, palm trees one day, the Teton mountain range, you know, the other day <laughs> in Jackson hole. And it's just, it's pretty inspiring. And then to be able to be, serving families and organizations in the meantime is just pretty awesome. That's really cool. Well, Edward, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being on the show. Can I pray for you real quick? Sure thing. Father, I just lift up Edward and uh, ask you to continue to go before him and and make his path clear as he leads Farron Recovery and Farron Leaders. Lord, I pray that you would um, just bless the organization as you blessed No Longer Bound and, and did amazing things, it sounds like, through through that ministry, I pray that you would just continue to do amazing things through his obedience to answer his call in his life, Lord. Um, thank you that we get to be invited into and a part of what you're doing. Um, and just lift up Edward as he gets to do this, as he travels with his family and, and experiences your beauty all over this country, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they learn more and, or get in, get in touch with you? They can just call me on my cell phone, man. 678-677-1682. Totally not kidding. But also, you can just learn more at farinrecovery.com. Farron is F-A-R-Y-N, recovery.com. And then there's also farinleaders.com, which is spelled the same way, but leaders. So yeah, I'd love to connect and serve any way that I can and share some more information. Awesome. Well, thank you. And uh, we wish you guys the best with this new endeavor. Great. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.